Hey guys, this is Megan. So excited for another amazing story. We're actually going to be talking about something that I don't feel like we talk about a ton and it's going to be pregnancy after 40, like, and even really 36, right? I feel like in the medical world, we've got like 36 is old, (laughs) right? And I'm doing air quotes because it's such an annoying thing to me, but we're going to talk about that pregnancy you know, after 40 and what that looks like and, and how, and how that may feel for someone. And we have our friend Pat today from LA and she's going to be sharing her stories. And, you know, we talk about, uh, she did have a VBAC and we talk about this often on social media and things like that, where, you know, People may have a vaginal birth after cesarean and it's the most healing, amazing, beautiful experience. And then sometimes it's not. And so I'm excited to hear from Pat today and kind of hear more about her experience. But of course, we have a review of the week. So I'm going to make sure to get into that before Pat starts sharing her story. And just a fair reminder, if you guys have a chance if you would please leave us a review we love your reviews as you know we talk about it all the time but really they make us smile so much and we love reading them on the podcast so push pause and go leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast this specific review is from sarah and she doesn't have a subject on it but she says i am a birth and postpartum doula who is always on the search for a birthy podcast to listen to in my car I was so excited when I found the VBAC link so I could listen to these amazing stories from women all around the world who reach their goals through becoming educated, thanks to Megan and Julie. I've recently certified with the VBAC link as well, yay, and I'm so impressed by the thorough delivery with with which their knowledge was shared in the training. I'm super excited to move into the next chapter of my career, and I'm so thrilled to do so with an amazing community and support. Sarah, I love it. Thank you so much. It is so awesome to have you as one of our VBAC doulas. And birth workers, if you didn't know out there, we actually have a a birth worker course on how to support your VBAC clients because you know, we we again, we talk about it. It shouldn't be anything more than just someone going in to have a baby. But with vaginal birth after cesarean, Um, or cesarean, I should say, and wanting to go for vaginal birth after cesarean, there are hurdles that a lot of clients have to jump through. And it's so nice to learn how to support them. So we have a certification course and we add you to our doula list and share you with the world. So parents, if you're looking for a VBAC doula, go to the VBAClink.com slash find a doula or yeah, find a doula and see if there's a doula near you. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Pat. I can't wait. Thank you so much for taking the time today to be with us. No, thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. This podcast has been such a big and helpful thing to prepare for my BVAC. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to turn the time over to you. Yeah. So yeah, I'm um, I'm Spanish. So that's why I have a, a weird accent. And, but I've been living in LA for the last 10 years with my husband. And I have two kids now. One is two and a half and the other one is going to turn 10 months in just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so my journey started really late uh, or later than other people here in the States. I always knew I wanted to be a mother, but then I kind of like saw my uh, friends having kids and saw what that really means to your life. <laughs> so um, I, for a little bit, I was like kind of um, trying to decide whether I could, you know, really take, take on motherhood or not. And I knew that if I were to be a mother, it could be in my late 30s. I really wanted to push it. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense now because if I hadn't done that, then I had I would have different kids, and I really believe 
in destiny and these kids were to me you know were meant to be for me for so yeah i think i'm happy with that but uh with that also came a lot of stress uh from the doctors uh, you know all these talks about the extra risks and how difficult or or, or impossible it was going to be to get pregnant at 39 mm-hmm. so my journey thank god wasn't that hard um i did um t- i had an iud a copper iud Mm-hmm. And I took it out on uh, January 2020, uh, 2019, sorry. And um, it, for the first three months, I didn't get pregnant, but I also had like weird pain and my period was really strange. So I um, had a, I had an ultrasound and they saw that actually I had an IUD inside of me, even if they took it out. So what, what? happened? Yeah, it was like so bizarre. I don't want to get into details because that would take us all the whole hour, but so what happened is that someone along the way, and I had had an IUD for since I was 20 because I had a DVT and I couldn't take hormones. So that was my, mm-hmm. you know, the way I, I chose to go. Yeah. So along those years, someone forgot to take out the old IUD and just like push a new IUD inside of me. Oh my land. <laughs> it was crazy to discover that. So anyways, they took it out. And three months after that, I was pregnant. So um, that was October, November, I think, of uh, 2019. And um, so it was fairly quick, you know, for yeah. like age and everything. I, I I was like thrilled. And my pregnancy also was super healthy. Um, I did have certain things here and there, but nothing that, you know, a younger person wouldn't have. Um, I barely ha- didn't have any sickness, morning sickness or anything. Mm-hmm. I did have a couple of weird symptoms one of it was palpitations with mm. i i didn't you know i didn't know that happened and then uh towards the middle of my pregnancy i started having like some not fainting but like lightheaded episodes where i really had to lay down mm. in the street when i was uh, w- uh, walking my dog around wow. several times and then it, it we discovered that it was something regarding my breakfast really so mm. i had a thing for toast with peanut butter in the morning and at some mm-hmm. point i guess my shoe the way my body was sugar sugar yeah was doing something weird and i was really almost fainting in the street so once someone told me a doctor told me to actually change that for pro- protein have protein first in the morning mm-hmm. so immediately that disappeared and yeah other than that you know i i mean everything was great i was feeling super beautiful with my pregnant belly yeah and i was going for an unmedicated birth so i was really preparing mentally and physically for it i did hypno babies um Mm -hmm. i was really in my head i was like obsessed about it as a friend of mine recommended me to be if i wanted to achieve it so i was doing all the work everything was going great and towards of course we got into 2020 covid comes in Uh um my husband was able still to come to the 20-week ultrasound, which was awesome. But after that, I was alone. And, and there was a lot of like stress added to the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like it was towards the end of my third trimester that I don't know why, but my mind kind of like started, you know, like losing its balance. You know, like all mm-hmm. the fear about motherhood came rushing down and... Yeah, the last few weeks, they were full of excitement, but also fear. And, you know, like everybody was like, are you so excited? And I was like, yeah, but I'm also like so scared. And yeah. I felt guilty. I couldn't talk to anyone about that because I was scared, you know, people would think I'm a bad mother or I'm going to be a bad mother. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, we didn't hire a doula, which is important in this birth story because of COVID. But I, I I guess I didn't know that I was going to need her so much because once my, my baby also, it, the doctor told me towards the end of the pregnancy that he was OP mm-hmm. and, but that he could still move, but I could feel the baby. So, you know, I, he didn't have a space. I could feel my belly so tight. I, I didn't think he was going to move. And I didn't know anything about really helping him position more than a few a couple of exercises i saw on spinning babies mm-hmm. so when the birth started it was after my 40-week appointment i was barely dilated my doctor checked me and i was one centimeter but and then she said that probably i wouldn't go into labor for a few days but then the next day i woke up with contractions they were light and you know just like pure cramps and mm-hmm. every 10 minutes so I was excited, uh, but I also was like in denial kind of thing. This cannot be. I'm only one centimeter, right? which doesn't matter at all. 
I, I learned that now. <laughs> yes. And then during the whole day, they kind of like went like that, like a little bit, they progressed a little bit in like how painful they were, but they were like 10 minutes apart. Nothing was really happening. So I just kept going. I, I had heard of prodromic labor. So I thought, mm-hmm. no, maybe th- this is not it. But um, by the time I went to bed, they were, they were like seven to 10 minutes apart, and, but they were not super painful, but painful enough that I couldn't sleep yeah. during the whole night. So that was so that was tired. Hard. I'm sure. So tired. And this was, um, this was, I think a Friday. So Saturday just kept going the same. The, actually the um, contractions got a little bit more weird. Like they, instead of like coming down and getting a pattern, they were all over like from seven minutes to 10, five, and they were getting more and more, more intense as I would go, but still nothing was happening. Um, mm. So basically that night I, I tried everything because my doctor, I called my doctor and she said that she confirmed it could be prodoma labor, but I had the feeling that it wasn't, that it was just a labor that was not progressing because nothing would stop them, no any bath, no anything. So um, that night I took some Benadryl and could sleep between contractions, but it was just like a few minutes here and there, you know, like, so I, but the next day it was Sunday, I was so tired. And then up to this point, I had been trying to move forward this pregnancy, uh, this, this birth, like, right. Like do exercise. But at this point I was scared because I thought I'm going to get caught up in this level of pain for like a, like a two more weeks. And, and I just don't think I can take it. So I started like having more pass, like slow. I tried to slow it down. I wanted yeah. it to go away basically. Yeah. And I was also losing my, my mind a little bit, you know, it was like my third day um, with barely sleep uh, and I didn't know what was going on. I, I was, I didn't know how to cope with contractions and like how to breathe properly. Like this is where I do, I think would have made a difference, you know, like how, obviously my baby was not coming down and just having someone with me that would have helped me position the baby better, I think would have made a difference, but it was what it was at that point. So another night without sleeping and we're on Monday now. <laughs> and then the doctor tried to convince me to go in to do a membrane sweep, but I really couldn't get out of the house. So I, again, I, I lived in the bath. I was in the bath, in the bath, in the bath. And then finally my water broke a little bit. There was a gush of water, but it was yellow. That's how I could see it. Oh. And I didn't know why that meant, but obviously it meant that there was some meconium. Meconium. Mm-hmm. Um, so my doctor told me that since my uh, water broke that, you know, she felt comfortable waiting until the next day, but I had to be in the, in the hospital at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday. Uh, but by, by that night, I think it was one in the morning where the pain was so bad and my mind was so out of it. I was even regretting being pregnant at this point, you know, it's like, I mean, just get me out of here. Yeah. Um, so basically I told my husband, let's just go because I don't know what this is, but, but if, you know, I don't want, I want an medicated birth, but if this, this is nothing, I really need help because I just cannot go on mm-hmm. like this anymore. So we got there. Um, the triage was horrible. You know, it was like three hours mm-hmm. until I got checked in and um, discovering that I was only three centimeters was uh, crushing <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. So once I was there, I knew that um, an epidural would help me sleep and that's what I needed. And so by that time, they still did walking epidurals, which I don't know why they call it like that because they don't let you walk anyways. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a lighter epidural, essentially. And I know, they, but they should change the, the name. definitely. Uh-huh. So that really helped me. I slept for an hour. And when they checked me, when my doctor came and checked me in the morning, I was five centimeters. Uh, so any, I was on, on zero station. So basically the doctor said, because of the circumstances, she thought that I had to be around six, uh, by the time she came back later on. And, you know, I thought it was achievable. Like I had a whole morning. Um, by that time also I had developed, um, a lot of pain in my left side and in my right side, the right was like a sciatica kind of pain. And the left was more like, I don't know, like just my lower back it was hurting a lot like my uh kidney kind of thing Mm. and i was drinking water and drinking water and i just couldn't get satiated so i kept laboring in bed um they didn't offer me they didn't mention the op baby they didn't offer a peanut 
ball, nothing. So I was like there, you know, just surviving. Just waiting, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they wouldn't let me get up. Um, so I would sneak in, in between like, you know, visits from the north like, and get up with my husband a little bit because I would feel my, my legs and everything. And I needed to get up because it was so excruciating, the pain in my back when I was laying down. But then the doctor came at 3 p.m. and I was again five centimeters so her fear of infection uh, was pretty high she was scared for me even if nothing really was happening and at that point my waters really 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 broke and there was this green thick layer Mm -hmm. you know it was just like full maconian coming out of me which you know it was i knew it was only like a matter of like watching it 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 didn't mean that i could not have a bad for me but it was um, a, con- a little concern. Yeah. So, yeah, the doctor convinced me to take Pitocin at that point. Uh, I started Pitocin at 3.30 and the pain in, in my sides increased. So it was more and more difficult just to try to stay still in bed. And um, a, a few hours later, I think it was around 9 p.m., I had blood pressure issues. So everything was like kind of starting to pile up. There was a little bit of protein in my urine, but I had been given so many different like infusions of liquids that Mm -hmm. my doctor, you know, chose to change one first before giving me magnesium to see if that worked. And that worked. But by that time, for someone who didn't want an intervention, I was like full of like tubes everywhere to my Mm -hmm. uterus, a catheter. I like, it was just really bizarre. Yeah. Um, during that time, I also had a resident come in. She was the chief of resident and um, she was one of the source of my trauma really in the hospital because she was really disrespectful with me, not only in her comments, uh, you know, like she meant she made, when she saw me in pain, she said, oh, well, you wanted a natural birth. So I don't know what you expected, you know, things like that. But also like she came and checked me and she really heard me. And I asked her to stop. And instead of stopping, she pushed harder inside of me. Oh, oh. I felt, it, it wasn't like I didn't even know how to react to that because she ignored me and she kept doing it even harder. And I felt so violated by that. And that just yeah, stayed I'm with so me. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it, was, it was crazy. Uh, but well, just, you know, I continued laboring and um, the um, pressure, the blood pressure resolved. The kidney was failing. That's why the what well, failing they said it was damaged. Basically, the, 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 that was why the protein was coming out on the on the um, test. But with that change of of uh, liquids that they gave me, apparently it just made it better. So the pain was still there, but the protein disappeared, and my blood pressure came down. I don't know what that was related. And around ten thirty eight, following my notes, uh, apparently the baby's heart dropped. Um, it lasted more than eight minutes, but it wasn't like a big drop. Mm. So that was also my first experience with like everyone coming into the room, screaming. This is another thing. Like I saw this chief resident talking to my husband about what was happening to me, but no one was talking, talking to me. It was to like yelling at me. Like, oh, you're forced. And that was after I got up and they saw me up. So they were also yelling at me about like, what did you do? Like, this is all you. Like, what have you oh done? My Go back God. to the bed. Um, and I was so scared and, and yeah, but nobody was explaining to me what, what was happening. Luckily, you know, they got that out of control and, and then they explained to me what had happened. So they told me to lay on my side, really, really still on that side. That really, really hurt. So it all felt like almost like a torture, you know, like Mm -hmm. a really well-designed torture. And they stopped the Pitocin and then they restarted an hour later. So you know, everything was going well. Um, but again, after a couple of hours, another deceleration, this one, and we're already at 4 a.m. So it's like 12 hours after yeah. I got, no, 24 hours after I got to the hospital. And this was one shorter, but um, it was deeper. And I was only six centimeters and a half. So at that point, I was also like giving up. Like I didn't even could picture myself birthing a baby with like, it, like frozen in this position, you know, like you cannot do this, you cannot do that. Like, How am I going to birth a baby then? You know, yeah. I was, I was like really sad, but you know, like I, I, I didn't see any other way out. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had my cry with my husband and, and then we just like went to the ER, no, the OR, right? Mm-hmm. The OR. 
And it wasn't an emergency. It was just something. So we had a minute to like process. So it was just something that needed to be done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, my doctor, I mean, she was great at talking to me. This was the first time that she actually came to the hospital after like after 24 hours. So once she was there, I didn't have to deal with this. Resident. Resident. (laughs) And she, she's always really respectful and she always, you know, talks to me about everything before making a decision. So that was great and, and helped me calm. Mm-hmm. Um, the surgery went great, but I was so out of it that, for example, when they were going to pull out the baby, they lowered down the, the, the screen. Curtain. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, I couldn't see. And I couldn't even like say it. Like I, I didn't see it. I couldn't see it. And I said, okay, then I turned and look at my husband at his face while he was looking at our baby being born which also was beautiful but i just couldn't i was really really out of it yeah um i think it took them like 15 minutes or so to bring the baby they also like raised him but i only saw the legs but i remember him crying and just like realizing that i actually had a baby (laughs) like it's a real baby and not a fish Mm -hmm. that was like inside my belly (laughs) it was pretty great then they wheeled me into recovery and I was in a lot of pain, but um, my husband recalls actually that when they brought the baby, he actually said, I thought you were dying, but then they brought the baby, put him on your chest and you were fine. You know, as you know, I think I don't remember that, but I remember like, I, I keep that as a memory because I thought, you know, that that's one of the beautiful things that happened. And then he also like crawled to my breast, which was really Yay. great. To see. That's really cool because a lot of the times, uh with cesareans they don't allow that to happen right so that's really cool yeah no they they were really good at like just giving me the baby as soon as they could and i also hold him in the or but i wasn't feeling great and and then they took him back but then this nurse came and without saying anything i'm like in this beautiful moment the baby latches i'm just like enjoying and this woman starts like punching me in the uterus basically that's how it felt like massaging it but it felt and i screamed like i've never screamed in my life because that hurt so much and i asked her again like she didn't say anything and i asked her like what are you doing and she said i am i am i have to do this because it's either this or you're gonna bleed to death and i'm like but i'm not hemorrhaging or anything yeah nothing so you know, that was just another thing that um, really was impacted placed them in your mind. mind. Yeah. It, it's like little flashbacks that they, they come afterwards, you know, like it, yeah. it might sound not as a big deal, but it is a, a big deal. It is a, a really big deal. Yeah. And then we went to the room and after that, you know, everything was beautiful. Just getting to know our baby, naming him because we knew he was a boy, but we had different names. And he was great. He was uh, drinking. Uh, he was like, you know, wetting the the diaper. But then because of all the liquids that I got, first of all, he was like eight pounds, 12 ounces when he was mm-hmm. born. But like almost a pound of that or half a pound was like liquid. He yes. Was so swollen. Yes. I want to talk about that because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize that that's a thing. So if mm-hmm. we have long labors and we receive, receive a lot of fluids or receive a lot of antibiotics, because like antibiotics can, you know, like all these, these fluids, it can actually make our baby bigger than yes. they actually are. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like, you know, it, you can yeah. have an eight pound baby come out, but then they're like seven pounds. And so it's scary because it looks like they dropped so much weight and then you're not thinking that you're feeding your baby right and they're not getting enough milk and all these things yeah. when actually they're just getting rid of the excess fluid. And that was part of the problem. And it's crazy that they don't know it. Like it's They, they just don't talk about that, like, that. Yeah. The problem was that he was losing so much weight, but because he was like getting out of the liquids, but in the process, because of all that he had on it apparently like the all the liquids kind of like threw his ph out and and so he was like dehydrating so he was eating normal like but like he was dehydrating and after another day he you know his tongue was dry and i told the nurse like i don't think this is normal but she was like no no this is normal don't worry and it's like okay i guess maybe babies are like that uh, but then the uh, we had a great lactation consultant and she noticed that he was breathing really fast. So they had to take you to the NICU just because of that dehydration. So it was 
again another kind of like setback on like mm -hmm. happy ending kind of thing yeah but luckily he only spent a night and a morning there and he was okay That's um so we took him home this was already day number four in the hospital and from there on he thrived we had to do for a little bit I think it's called a like triple feeding thing just to make sure he mm -hmm. was gaining weight but mm -hmm. it was really obvious from almost the get-go that my milk was enough for him and he was you know good with it so after a week we win him out of the bottle and he was only breastfeeding gaining weight and everything was great yeah mm -hmm. a lot of emotions but my postpartum was really good and um i i think that has a lot to do with my placenta encapsulation mm -hmm. but i will never know i guess i know i love him i love placenta encapsulation myself so. I love it, yeah yeah so yeah so second baby um so i remember a nurse in in my room well, I was actually getting wheeled to the OR and I had a nurse, a nurse talking to me like, don't worry, honey, you can have a VIVAC. And it's like, I don't even know what is VIVAC, but I don't, I'm telling you I'm not having more kids. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> telling you for sure. Yeah. So, you know, that VIVAC thing kind of stuck, stuck with me. And I started having baby fever really early on, like six months postpartum. I mean, I think my baby was so cute. It was just like, I yes. want another baby. And my husband was a little reticent, but I knew I was going to convince him. So in the meantime, I started uh, listening to the Feedback Podcast. The mm -hmm. Viva King, and yes. it was a great source of learning. You know, like I've always loved birth stories, but this was like really specific. And, and, and listening to so many cesarean stories, also like I could understand better what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And maybe like make a plan for why I didn't want to repeat again in the future. Yeah. So yeah. the first thing when I got pregnant, which I got pregnant at the first try, and I just want to say it because again, I was 41, 42, 42 at that, at that time. So, you know, it, not 41 and a half. I turned to 42 when, when I was pregnant. So again, like, you know, like age doesn't have to be an impediment to have kids or, you know, every person is, it's, it's person. The statistics don't represent you. Yeah. So I want people to have hope on that. <laughs> And this pregnancy went also really well. Um, the symptoms were a little bit worse. Like I didn't have extreme nausea or anything, but it was like a little bit worse. Mm -hmm. Not too bad, but a little bit worse. But I hear that happens with sec second babies and third. And like, so, I mean, I, in this moment, uh, what I'm more focused on is in my VBAC. Of course, I want to go unmedicated too, but I really want to do everything possible to have a vaginal birth. So I hired this doula and I also I live in LA and there's this uh, famous doctor who everyone goes to so I think I love my doctor but I but she already was talking about how you know she she follows just certain procedures that the hospital follows so at 39 weeks she recommended to be induced and all that stuff and I was and I just thought she's great but I really want to have the best chance and if they call this guy the king of bags, shouldn't I go with him right <laughs> so I went with him and he was really hopeful of my VBAC. He has a kind of weird personality. He's really nice, but at the same time, he is, you know, just not everyone's cup of tea in a lot of, mm -hmm. in a lot of, no, no, like not my cup of tea in a lot of, of um, different things. But I, I had a little bit of a red flag for certain things that he was trying to force on me. Um, when I would tell him, I don't want this or I don't want that. He would just get mad basically and Aww. try to push it. And I just didn't, you know, I was going away from like having to convince my doctors of what I want for my birth. Mm -hmm. So landing in a guy who's supposed to be this, you know, like the only, <laughs> it felt to me at the time, the only way of having a baby back and having to have the same fights with him. It felt mm -hmm. really confusing. Yeah, and I think it's important to know that because a provider might be be back supportive, it doesn't mean that it's n not also like intervention supportive, which is what happened with this guy basically. So, well, I continue with him because I was really scared to not have my be back unless I was with him. So, right, because yeah, everybody around you is like, yes. go here. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's another thing: like, I could find maybe one or two kind of like medium reviews but uh, like all of the reviews about him in all the viva groups were like no this is a great guy and what this i think is that yeah. people don't want to tell the bad stories like they don't want to 
talk bad about a doctor and what are you doing then you're just protecting this doctor you're not protecting yeah. women that or people that are birthing well and what's hard too is even though one provider may be very VBAC supportive and and be very cohesive with that client with that patient that doesn't mean he's not going to be or he or she you know isn't going to be an amazing VBAC supportive doctor but may not has still fit the same desires, right? Like they can be VBAC supportive, but they might not be the right provider for everybody else. Yeah. Yes. And I wish I could have read a little bit more of my, because then just talking to other women in the group, like privately, they would say, yeah, I didn't have a good experience. And I'm not saying like most of the people had a good experience with him, but I wish I would have be able to read or like find these reviews because that maybe would have made a, a difference in trying to find another VBAC uh, supportive mm, but mm-hmm. I stuck with him and everything went well uh during like again no any kind of like problems that can be related to age or problems at all it was just like a normal healthy pregnancy mm-hmm. um and I I had been really uh careful of my positioning during the pregnancy so baby wouldn't be OP but he was OP too <laughs> and by that time we didn't know it was a he yeah but I I was really like I knew it doesn't matter that he's OP, it's another baby. It's another birth. I can exactly. do this. And I have a doula. I have a doula now. That's yeah. what I mean. Like if I get stuck in another four day or five day birth, that this person is going to help me get through it. Which yes. Because, you know, I, I believe I can do it. I just need help. That's it. Well, and so, I will probably shorten it because they'll know exactly. and try to be able to have some tools that will hopefully help. Yeah. Which, which she did because my story kind of like, with this uh, second baby when when really similar like I started I actually was 39 week pregnant uh, this time and I don't know if it was the all the cleaning that I did or that my <laughs> my uh, two-year-old one-year-old by then he had a huge tantrum like he's never had so he cried in my arms for two hours and I felt my first contraction when I was with him so from there it started the same way like really really low-key kind of like crampy feeling that went a little bit up during the day but not nothing was happening either but then at night um I tried to sleep and it was like in so much pain. like I, ha- I was having really huge contractions so we are still uh sharing uh, co-sleeping basically so my my mm-hmm. my toddler was there my husband was there and I think I just my my body didn't feel free enough to move mm-hmm. things forward yeah uh, so my husband uh, helped me labor during the night, but in the morning it kind of like, like went down. No, the the contractions I didn't even like time them, but I think they were like again like in the morning they were back to like seven ten minutes, like less painful, but still really intense. And I remember I kept cleaning. I did um how, how do you call it? This like uh, set of exercises to like get things going from spinning babies. Um, Three sisters. No, the, the, um, the curve one. Oh, yes. I know yeah, there's like a bunch of exercises you can do. So I did all of them. And I, I was, here's another thing that I recommend people who have had trauma in their first birth. It's like, I thought I got it. You know, I thought I have processed this. I'm okay. I even wrote a script about witches. It's named the residence. I got this. <laughs> like a, I really thought I had processed it, but I hadn't. So when things were really starting to get similar to my first birth, my mind got out of work, you know, like I, I lost it. And I, I remember crying to my sister-in-law, like, this is the same as with Liam. It's going to be five days. I'm going to end up in a cesarean, like totally negativity that I didn't need in that moment. You, you spiraled. Yeah, I, I did that too. Now. I <laughs> so yeah. really, really process your first birth. People are going to it. But I could feel things that were different. Like I, like, you know, I, I felt um, the bloody discharge that I never had. Like I could feel my hips hurting a lot, which meant, you know, something was happening in there. So that, that kept me helpful. And my husband told me like, listen, I saw you with our first. Um, is different? This is different. Like yes. so much advanced right now. You never got to this point. So, But in your you mind, know. you're relating to what you know. I know. And it's so, also your mind is not a rational mind in that moment. It's just full of fear. And you've been told you cannot do this. So, I mean, why would you think you can do it? Right. That, that's why your mind goes in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my, my, um, 
my doula came finally uh, that afternoon and she helped me breathe through the contractions, which I think was key because from there on I could mm-hmm. relax with them and I got in the bath and everything felt more controlled. And one of the things that she actually had had me doing for like the last couple of months before the birth was sleeping with like two or three pillows in between my legs as if it was like a peanut ball or a peanut mm-hmm. ball, but I had like a bunch of pillows. And I feel that was key too, because my hips are not too wide for how tall I am. And I feel that all that keeping my hips open really helped this time. And that night, that second night, um, I I went to bed with a Benadryl again, and I woke up at one or so, um, and I was like in a lot of pain, like really big uh, contractions you couldn't sleep through. Yeah. So again, I went to the bath, the pressure, the contra pressure, that mm-hmm. uh, really helped. And the hips, uh-huh. Yeah, it really, really, it wasn't one of the things that, that helped me the most. I had done, uh, even though babies in my first um, pregnancy, but it never got to like really help me at all. What it helped me, it's really funny. It's just singing a song in my in my mind. It was um, it was uh, Yellow by Coldplay, but just not even loud oh, in my mind, yeah. every contraction. And that was uh, it. And I could go through them. It was just crazy. I did the same thing with, really? Belie- with Believe by Whitney Houston. Okay. <laughs> yes. it was, and it was like a was random like, song also. You believe, like in singing yeah. in my head. And I'm like, yeah. And then I ended up making a video with like a little slideshow with that song. So like it just connected to me. That's so cute. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was magic. So it was, I think it was like three or 4 AM in the morning where the pain, I, I, I it was intense enough that I thought if it, if I can, if I keep going, then I might not get in the car and mm-hmm. I could feel like different things in my hips. So I could feel like a little bit of the movement going down. Yeah. So it was like, no, no, this is different. I'm, I'm not going to get there and I'm going to be just three centimeters. If not, I, I don't understand birth at all. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to the hospital. It was like 40 minutes away, 30 without traffic. So it, it was bad, but not like horrible because Coldplay, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I got there, it was amazing because I had a really strong contraction and the nurses just like put me in a, like they took me you from you would have to be in triage for three no, hours to do yes. this you go to the hospital just have a really really big contraction so you don't have to wait there for three hours That's <laughs> the trick. um so yeah i got checked um by a, i of course didn't want any resident around me so i had yeah. a midwife team that we midwife um checked me and i was 10 centimeters she said but it turns out that i had a bulging uh, Bulgy bag, bulgy bag. So they thought it was complete, but I was eight centimeters, which was like yeah. Sometimes the bolt, sometimes a bag can like overstretch the cervix, and then the bag breaks, and then the cervix relaxes. Exactly. So it it seems like they check, and they're like, "We don't feel any cervix," Mm. but then the bag goes away, and they're like, "Oh." There's some cervix left. That's probably what happened. And I was, I was not even defeated because I thought, oh, you know, I mean, I'm still eight centimeters. I never made it through six. Huge, huge. Yeah. I was so proud of me. But I I must say that when I got there, I was walking into the room and I, and my doctor came in and he had just like, he looked so tired and he had had like two births before me. And and what he said is like, don't tell me you are in labor. (laughs) And I'm like, I am in labor. labor. (laughs) You could tell he was not, you know, there. He was just like tired, tired, which which I understand. You know, it's just bad luck. But I still feel like you have to be, you know, professional in that sense. You cannot tell that to a burden woman. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. so that's where kind of like the problems with him started. I just felt, I it didn't feel good, but I forgot about it. I had my midwife, and I was mostly laboring with her. He would just come in and out. And, um, I, I, I thought I was doing it, you know, like I, I didn't want any epidural. I was like laboring in the room. I, I, I was really tired, but, um, the baby also was really high, like minus three, I think. Mm-hmm. So he was not down, but it didn't worry me too much, you know, and yeah. I kept going, I kept going for two or three hours in between my doctor came, um, and check me, but there was no progress. So at some point, my doula actually told me, at some point, I guess I wasn't coping as well. And I think I was just getting into transition because in between contractions, I was kind of like, oh, you know, like kind of like mm-hmm. fainting. 
I, I felt like my body really needed rest. If two days laboring with this kid felt much more than five days laboring with my other kid. So I, I don't know. But my doula suddenly said that, you know, I don't think, I, I know you want an medicated birth, but I just don't think you're going to progress if you don't take the epidural. And I don't know why. I, I mean, I understand she said that because she was scared for me not to have my back. But also, mm. like, I feel like it was early in the game to, like, have, like, why don't we try other things before, you know? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it was true because what I said, basically what I thought, it, my husband, though, was my huge supporter. He's like, no, 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 you're doing great. You can do this. You can do this. Which mm-hmm. he still tells me nowadays, like, well, I, you know, like, if you you could have heard me and not the doula, I was like, I know, but you know, su- supposedly doulas have so much experience that. Yeah. And it was well, it was some, true. sometimes an epidural is a great tool. Yeah. And there's there's this spot where we get in labor where we're tense and and we're not really letting our body go. And so an epidural can come into great play, yes. you know, and and allow us to finish out that cervix and that dilation and that process. But you know, yeah, if you didn't want one, then there's other things you can do, different positioning and coping yeah. and breathing and, and water and and I think that's what she saw. She saw I was too tense and that mm-hmm. that was not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said, okay, I'm going to wait half an hour and I'm going to get checked. If I haven't progressed, then I'll consider, you know, like I think it makes sense. And this was almost like four hours from the moment we got there. So when I got checked, I hadn't progressed and I accepted the epidural. And, and so did your water break or was it? It was a bulgy and then they broke it or was it still, still bulging? So the doctor broke it a little bit, but just enough. So it would just come out a little bit and come down, but he didn't break completely my waters. And they actually broke while I was laboring in the room. And it was really funny because it was just like gallons of clear water, which was a different experience. So it was like, this is so clear. (laughs) But it was gallons and gallons coming out of my body. It was just crazy. But yeah, so after the epidural, I rested. And at that point, I didn't have the option of the walking epidural anymore. So it was a normal epidural, but I could still feel my legs and a little bit of pressure. So it was good, but I could rest. Mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep, but I could rest. And two or three hours after that, I was already on like a nine and a half and I had a cervical lift. Oh, in between that also, this is an important piece of information. This is things I want to forget, so I forget to tell them. But um, the doctor came in because he was like coming in and out, and he said, and this was like probably already twelve thirty or one, and he said, "Well, I have a dinner at five thirty, so we need to start pushing at two. Oh, <laughs> like okay, uh, and he left, and I, I didn't know if it was a joke or it was true, but turns out that he really had a family dinner at five thirty. So turns out that also I was ready. I don't know if I was ready to push, but I was fully dilated by like 1.30. That leap really went away. The The midwife uh, put me on my side mm-hmm. and it was, it was great. She was amazing. I wish, you know, everything would have happened just with her. But, uh, and so I started pushing. So it, the pushing phase was really weird to me because I was expecting it to feel, feel good, to feel like, oh, I'm pushing. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, you're ready to push. You want to push? It's like, I guess. And yeah, disconnected. disconnected, totally disconnected. Like, what am I doing here? I don't understand what's happening. Oh. And I pushed for like an hour. So I asked for the mirror to like see what was happening. And I think that was cool, but also got me a little bit discouraged because I could see the little advancement in with, with mm-hmm. each push. So it was like double sore thing. And when I was, I guess, more advanced or ready, they called the doctor and the baby was doing fine. He had a couple of moments where his heartbeat was taking a little longer to come back. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see my midwife calling the doctor, but he wasn't concerned. So we kept going. And I think it was like one hour into pushing that he came and like turned on the lights, propped me up, it changed the way I was pushing mm-hmm. and just sat in front of me with like a boring face. And said, okay, let's see how you, you know, like, it was just like, not the kind of person you want there. Impersonal. Yeah. Yeah. Really impersonal. Like his energy. He was also like yelling at people, like at the nurses. He was in a really bad mood. So it was, yeah. I mean, it was, everything was kind of like getting 
weird, you know, like, and, and I already had this weird feeling of like what is happening, how, like, I don't know. I just, I just can't, cannot really describe that, but it was just like, if there's this fire flight mode that you get in when you're birthing, that makes your baby come in. That's what mm-hmm. back inside, you know, that's what how was happening to me. But uh, the thing is that I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and little by little, there was some progress at some point though, he started to like mention how he wanted me to get a little bit more of epidural, but I, you know, I talked to my dual and to my husband and I, I really wanted to feel what was happening, but then mm-hmm. he kept like going on how, if I had the epidural, it was going to be better because he was going to have to stitch me and then, oh, that hurts a lot. And then this and this and this, he kept like going into my head. And I actually like, I, I really regret this, but I let him convince me and I got a little bit more of epidural. So at that point, all the pressure kind of disappeared. And I just, mm. I could feel, but yeah, I couldn't feel as much. And then after that, when the epidural was already in, he said, you know what? The head of the baby is coming in and out, in and out, in and out. What if I take a vacuum and I use it only just to hold the head of the baby in the same space, you know, mm. while in between contractions. And I had heard this on a, on a story, on a birth story. And it was, it worked for, for the mother. So I was this was already like two and a half hours into pushing. So I, I said, yes, yes, let's do it. Cause I could see in the mirror that that was true. That was happening. But then, yeah. then he put the vacuum and I closed my eye. I don't know. It was this, I closed my eyes. And when I open it, because everyone is yelling, open it, open, open the eyes. The baby's coming. He's like basically janking the baby out of me. And this is all how I felt it. That happened. <laughs> I'm sure the other side felt different, but so this is where, you know, my problem comes with this VBAC and it's just that I felt I was tricked into, you, you know, using an intervention that I didn't want to. And yeah. the baby was born at 4.45, basically. So, right before dinner. Right before dinner. But then the other thing is that he had the baby. The baby was crying. It was a boy, which was super exciting to discover. Um, he was pink and one of the other things I had told him is that I wanted that baby in my stomach if everything was like I wanted to feel one of the things I missed in my other birth was this feeling of like this high when they put the baby in your chest and he knew I had told him like so many times and he had the baby and kept like cleaning him up cleaning him up Mm -hmm. cleaning him up and I'm asked and I have like a pile of pictures where I'm like you know holding out my hands to grab him and like retracting and holding until I just like snatched the baby out of him (laughs) basically give me my baby Give me, give me my, my baby. baby. And that's like, I, like, give me my baby. And then <gasps> I breath out all this moment of like rage and I, and I could be present with my baby. And then I, I welcome him and, and everything was great. And um, we had a, and, and from that moment on, nobody took it away from me. And I, hold, I held him and, and he felt so familiar and he felt, I don't know. I, I felt like our family was complete and, and at least that feeling, it wasn't taken away from me. Just like the joy of, in, you know, yeah. welcoming my baby. Yeah. But then everything, the postpartum was great, but I really struggled. And it, I struggled a little bit. I don't know. I don't think it was depression, but it was really like the baby blues was really hard on me for like two or three weeks. I couldn't stop crying every time I would remember my VBAC. And I felt really guilty because I thought, I even remember the midwife, you got your VBAC, you got your VBAC. It's like, yeah, I got my VBAC, but this is not, I mean, I'm glad I don't want a C-section, but like, this is not what I wanted. I feel so robbed and I feel robbed and it's so bad of a feeling, you know, to have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you did, you got your VBAC and, and everybody on the outside is like, yay, this is what you wanted. But you're like, it was very traumatic getting here, you know, and, and it was really positive. And then it just took a spin and things had happened to you that reflected not as positive. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, you, we, we've talked about this, you know, back when Julie and I were together too, like you can be grateful for mm-hmm. your vaginal birth after cesarean. You can be grateful for your C-back, like your cesarean birth after cesarean. You can be grateful for your birth but that doesn't mean that you can't grieve another experience or be upset or, you know, you can't, they don't just 
you can't have, you don't have to have one without the other. Like they right. can go together, you know, and unfortunately, and unfortunately you have, have this space now where you're like, yeah, I did, but I, it, you know, I reflect, I reflect differently than everyone might. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like all the work that I did, he, he, you know, he, yeah. took it away from me because he was in a rush and it wasn't yeah. necessary. I feel. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry. It's, I mean, you know, like processing it, um, you can focus on the positive things, but it just. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations on your baby boy. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I think that is something to know. And it's so hard. And, you know, we, we as doulas here, we had a client that kind of said the same thing. They're like, I knew I didn't want this. We went over this with you. And I had like, we all went over it. And she's like, but for some reason, I just went with what the doctor said mm -hmm. and it's so hard not to it's we're in this very vulnerable space and then they have this way sometimes sometimes I'm not gonna say all the time but sometimes of like projecting this like you have to make a decision right now or you have to do this or this scary thing will happen and I don't think that they really realize how they're speaking to us impacts us as birthing women you know but it does it does. And the things they say, and even like you said, he sat down and gave you a blank stare. Yeah. All right, let's see, let's yeah. see what we can do here. It's like just that right there takes away from someone's space. Yeah. And so providers, doulas, you know, anybody who's entering, if you were listening, anyone who is entering a birth space, please make sure that whatever is going on in your personal life, whatever is, is, taking over in that moment to leave it at the door. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And as a doula, like if there's ever a situation where I have that, I might need to call my partner, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I can't shut that off and join this beautiful space and hold space for my, my clients, then maybe I shouldn't be there. And mm -hmm. it's hard because these providers, you know, they're just going to be there, but we have to be mindful. We have to be more mindful of how we present ourselves, what comes out of our mouth. And again, the actions that are done to us because they impact us so much. Yeah. So I'm sorry that that did happen. And I'm yeah. sorry that, you know, along the way, you kind of had to go back and forth and, and everything. And, but, you know, I, I am happy for you, but at the same time, I, I grief with you. You yeah. know, I, I feel you. So, oh, I am so sorry. So sorry, but congratulations at this. Thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, I feel like you really understand when I'm, when I'm telling this story, not everybody understands why it hurt me so much. And I feel you and your community probably will understand. Absolutely. We understand. We hear you. We feel you. We've been there. So I, I really appreciate you and know that even, you know, I know you're 10 months postpartum, but we're still here. We're still here to help you heal through this journey. Thank you so much. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the vbaclink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.